Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Whether you're a loyal listener or just joining for the first time, I'm super glad that you're here. I'm Betsy Jewell, host of the podcast, as well as a career coach for teens and young adults. In today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Tanya Crombie to the podcast. Tanya is an author, a certified life coach, and a parent of two teenagers. Her experience, both professionally and personally, has equipped her with valuable insight into helping young people manage anxiety and successfully transition to adulthood. During our conversation, we talk about the emotional roller coaster that we've all been on during the past 18 months, why being transparent about our own anxiety can be a huge help to our teens, and why we need to put our own metaphorical oxygen mask on first. Be sure to listen through to the end as Tanya shares why it's so important for us to actually befriend our anxiety. Everyone experiences anxiety at some point in their life. So this episode is filled with valuable advice and strategies, no matter who you are. Now let's get started. Hi, Tanya. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, Betsy. Uh, This is a topic and a area that is so close to my heart. I love talking about teenagers and high school and how all the stuff. So thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. And um, you have, I've said this, you have both sides of the coin. You have the professional side and the personal side as a parent of teens. Um, But before we get started, would you mind just spending a minute or so introducing yourself to my audience? Yeah. So like you said, I um, kind of have both sides of the coin when it comes to teenagers. I am an author who has written two, I've written two books now about anxiety. The first book was Stop Worrying About Your Anxious Child. And my second book is Stop Worrying About Your Anxious Teenager. Um, And I work with parents. I basically teach parents how to help their children when they struggle with anxiety. Um, And the reason I do that work, um, I do have my PhD in psychology and, um, have been a coach for many, many, many years. But the reason I specifically focus on parents and kids with anxiety is because I am a parent of kids with anxiety. Um, And so much of what I talk about and what I write about is based on not just all the book stuff, which is great, and I, I use it, but it's also just based on what I've experienced as a parent. I really know the struggle in a way that I didn't until my own children struggled. That is such great insight because I think we talk to a lot of professionals, right? As parents, Mm -hmm. we talk to doctors and dentists and psychologists and um, all those things, but to have 
to step in those shoes and be that person and be going through that with your kids just gives you a whole other perspective on it. And I mean, in this climate right now, I can only imagine how many more people you're talking to and how much more you're seeing of, well, really people of all ages with anxiety, but in particular teenagers, because it has been a year that we, I think we'd all like to erase, but unfortunately we can't. So we're going to have to embrace it, right? Erase or embrace. Oh, I like that. <laughs> um, and we need to face it, right? And deal with it. So, so let's talk about that. What are you seeing with families, um, particularly in regard to parents with teens, about what teens are going through and, and what kind of stress and anxiety you're hearing about? Yeah, it, and it has been a year and it was an interesting year, yeah, personally and professionally. So when it started, it was sort of, there was, it's sort of been an interesting up and down roller coaster too, just like everyone has has said. There were, I, ha- I had people whose kids were, had really, really been struggling before. And when everything shut down, those kids were like doing great. I, which was kind of surprising because um, some kids really thrived at the beginning. Um, when it went on and on, I, that started to go away. But at the very beginning, when we said, you don't have to go to school, you don't have to go to basketball practice, you don't have to go to, you know, swim, swim team. A lot of kids were like, Whoa, this is awesome. This is the best <laughs> thing that's ever happened. Um, but then as it dragged on, I think that started to wear. Then I also had, uh, a group of kids who, when, and you know how it is, different places have been opened at different times. So I had some of my clients were full-time school. Some had school had not started yet. Um, some of the kids, when school went back, did not want to go or found that they really, really couldn't. I was, I was hearing a lot from parents with, you know, everything, I thought everything was fine. But once they got a taste of not going, the going back was really hard for some kids. Um, so it's been a little bit of everything, every reaction, because that's, I mean, we're humans, right? We're going to see mm. every single reaction. Some kids, and then of course, I didn't mention the third group was the kids who um, had been fine, did okay, not great when things closed down. And then had a lot of fear and anxiety about going back. Um, so that there was also a group like that, that um, something happened. I, I think just the, the anxiety about all the news and all the things that could happen and all the things that could go wrong really started weighing on a group of kids. And the thought of going back was overwhelming to them. That was one of the things I wanted, really wanted to talk to you about today. I call it the re-entry, right? Because yeah. here, in, here in Florida, we are less than four weeks from the start of school. I can't believe I'm saying that. But I really think about these kids, exactly what you're saying, the kids who have either gotten comfortable learning from home mm-hmm. and really, especially those who might have some social anxiety or other challenges in, in person, kids who are still worried about the pandemic, right? If there's possible spread. Um, I mean, there's so many things obviously to worry about and, and what's it going to be like, you know, to go back into this social environment and have to interact with people and 
be empathetic and be patient and all those things. So let's talk about that. I mean, is there a strategy for reentry? Do you have specific suggestions about that? What can we expect? Well, let's talk a little bit about anxiety and how the way that our brains work is not doing something that makes you anxious is one of the most reinforcing things that you can do for an anxious brain. So if you are terrified to go to the grocery store and I say, don't worry, Betsy, you don't have to go to the grocery store anymore. Your anxious brain is like, oh my gosh, that was the most wonderful thing that has ever happened. I will never go to the grocery store again. It felt so good. And so we have to be really careful as parents. I think it's really good to know that about what's happening in our brain, because as parents, what we kind of want to do is to say, okay, I get it. You don't want to go to school. Just stay home today. But actually what that does is that just creates more and more problems down the road. It does get harder and harder for those kids. Um, And the converse is also true. Taking a kid who's completely petrified of going back to school and saying, just go and throwing them in is also dangerous and hard and can create, you know, a panic attack that then they hold on to and say, every time I go to school, I'm going to have a panic attack and, you know, you can create a spiral. So we are in a really tricky situation as parents with kids who are afraid to go back to school. So there are a few important things I'd say you're, you're four weeks away. I'm about the same where I am. So we've, we've got this four week and maybe some people have a little longer time period where I think what we're doing now is super important. So some of the things I think we should be doing now are first and foremost, always, this is my tip. I give every in every podcast and everything, every person I talk to, put your air mask on first. Take mm. care of your own anxiety. It's so important. And it is, it, it's the last thing we think to do, to be honest. We are so busy worried about our kids that we aren't managing our own stressors. And um, I have a good friend who is a um, emergency room physician. And she said that when, well, she's not now, but she went through, she's actually a a psychiatrist now, but she had to go through a rotation in the emergency room like you do when you're going through your training. And she said that when she went, got trained, the first thing they told her is the first pulse you take is your own because you have to be calm in emergency situations. You have to be calm when your child is stressing out. So we've got four weeks Let's get ourselves as calm and as together as we can and be transparent about it. And I don't mean be transparent about your child's anxiety. Be transparent about your own. Be transparent about, you know, when I had to start going back into my office, I was feeling anxious. And so I have started doing this thing. And that kids will listen to that. Kids have a lot of empathy for their parents. Kids are not as open to hearing, you're going to feel anxious when you go to school, so you should start doing these things. 
that doesn't tend to work as well with our kids. But saying, I experienced this, this thing helped me, and leaving, stopping there. Don't go to the next step, which we want to do as a parent and say, so you should do it too. You should start trying that. You should start, which is what we always want to do and say, go do what I did. Kids, you're much better off just modeling the behavior you want them to to try and then giving them a little space. The older they are, we're talking about teenagers. We're talking about high school kids. Teenagers are a hard little, you know, your little ones, you could say like, this is going to be fun. Let's meditate. And they'd be like, okay, your high school kids don't. <laughs> they won't. <Yeah. laughs> That's so true. I had my, one of my sons, I don't know if it was anxiety, but when he used to get really worried or anxious about something, I guess it was anxiety. Um, I would say, just breathe, just take some deep breaths, you know, but you're right now that they're teenagers it's a very different situation. And full transparency, I do struggle with anxiety. Um, and in fact, I've had it probably a good part of my adult life, but didn't do a lot about it. Thought, I can manage this. I can conquer this. No big deal. And then the pandemic hit and that sent me into a spiral. So I uh, started medication, started doing some breathing and some meditation. And I have been completely open about that with my kids because I feel like, to your point, if they see me going through it and they see I'm doing okay, that they're going to maybe feel a little bit better. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't really forced them to address it in their lives. And, you know, they, they kind of tend to internalize a lot. I don't know if that's a boy-girl thing, but I have two boys and they don't talk a lot. So I try and, and draw it out of them. Um, but it's been it's been a journey. And I, I think in general, right? I mean, any mental health issue, whether it's anxiety or any depression, anything people are struggling with, particularly teens, they don't want to talk about it, right? They don't want to be different from their friends. They don't want to be that kid. And I, I wish there was a way to say to our kids, you can all be who you are and feel how you feel and not be ashamed of it. Absolutely. In fact, that is another thing that I try and say over and over and over again. So statistics would tell us that before the pandemic, of as many as one third of humans will have a full diagnosable anxiety disorder. So 30% is a huge, huge percentage, one in three. Wow. So when, when we, you know, the kids who are saying like, oh, I don't want to be that kid, you're you're one in three <laughs> if you mm-hmm. are. It is so common. But I also say, you know, one third of people are going to have a disorder. A hundred percent of people will experience anxiety at some point in their lives. A hundred percent. It's part of being human. It is, you know, the way our brains are wired to react to change and things that are different. And, you know, we're just designed to to do exactly what has happened in the past because our brain knows that what I did yesterday kept me alive. So if I deviate from that in any way, it creates a little bit of anxiety, right? Change is hard. New things are hard. Um and I just want our kids to have an appreciation for 
just how common and normal it is to feel this way without a pandemic, without all this other stuff. And then you layer that they just, they can't feel alone because everyone's experiencing some level of worry about something. And it may not be illness. It could be financial. There's a lot of people struggling financially. They may be looking and saying, you know, I don't know if my dad's going to get another job. I know my, I don't know where, how we're going to pay the rent. Um, there's a lot of, lot of worries out there, not just about health. How so? How can we help our kids not worry so much? I know that sounds so basic, but you know, I heard what he said about you know putting our own oxygen mask on first. But let's say our kids are you know tomorrow's the first day of school and our kids are really, really struggling. They don't want to go back. They're really having a hard time. You can't really calm them down. I mean, what what are some tactics or or tips you have for parents in those situations. Okay. So, and this is a great period of time to start maybe introducing some practices, or like I said, talking about practices that work for you, inviting your child to do things that work to help manage your stress. But again, I would not present it to my teenager as I want you to learn this thing. So it will make you feel better. What I would say is, I've been feeling anxious and I was going to go do yoga or I was going to take a walk or I'm going to um, listen to the call map or we are driving in the car and they are a hostage for a few minutes, which is great time because they can't get away. And you say, while we're driving, I'm going to listen to this little um, app, this meditation, this thing that I that helps calm me down. And put on the little YouTube or the little guided meditation or whatever, if you use Headspace or if you use the Calm app. I'm a big fan of the Calm app personally. They have all kinds of little mini meditations. Play it in the car while your kid is in the car. So what you're doing is in a very stealthy Jedi mind trick kind of a way, you are giving your kid some tools that they can use when they need it. And you are planting seeds over the next month, or if you have six weeks, however long, if you don't have two weeks, do it when you can. And be, like I said, be real overt about, oh, when I feel stressed, this taking a walk makes me feel better. Doing, getting some exercise, having a dance party, singing loud music, watching funny YouTube videos. There are a thousand little tricks that we all have that help relieve stress that are very healthy you know, that are healthy ways that our kids can learn. And we start showing them and talking about them so that when our kids are feeling stressed, that's somewhere in the back of their mind. That's a little toolbox. You know, they've listened to a breathing technique on Calm Map and they think maybe I'll try that right now. That's a great idea. I use the Calm Map too. And I really, really like it. Sometimes I put it on at night when I'm trying to fall asleep. Yeah. Um, Because I think that's pretty common too sleep is so critical for teens. Well, for everybody and they never get enough of it. Um, and I think a lot of them, it seems to, the anxiety seems to creep in at night and they have trouble falling asleep or trouble staying asleep. Any other thoughts about that? I mean, I love the idea of the apps for them too, but do you have any other um, ideas for those? Yeah. I mean, so the, 
the calm map, I did the old, again, super stealthy Jedi mind trick. I said to my child, hey, I just got the calm map for my phone. Do you want me to um, get the family plan? And you can have it on yours. So it wasn't a, you need this. It was, I got it for me. It's, if you want to get the family plan, you can download it too and just use it. So yes, that is a great way to, and then they do. And and I will say, have you listened to that sleep meditation thing? That was really cool. It helped me fall asleep last night. You know, talk about it. A um, lot of the teens do the ASMR. A lot of them are into listening to ASMR to help them fall asleep, which is basically these uh, <laughs> weird scratchy voices and people scratching their nails and stuff. It's just the noises, but there's something about those noises that help calm. Uh, and I've known kids have been doing this. Yeah. Probably for the last 10 years, but I know that my own, one of my teens listens to ASMR videos just to help go to sleep. Um, so what's ASMR? Does that stand for something? I've never heard of this. <laughs> Gosh, it does stand for something. And of course, you're going to ask me. I don't remember. It's, it's something like something I'm Google sensory. It. Yeah, look it up because I can't remember what uh, ASMR. It's huge. I mean, if you just go on Autonomous YouTube. Sensory Meridian Response. Yeah, exactly. See? But if wow. You, you go ASMR on um, YouTube, there are a million, like I said, and it's just kind of like somebody maybe crunching something or whispering in a weird voice, but it, whatever it is, it supposedly triggers some part of your, um, your nervous system. I don't know about the science behind it, but it's probably very similar to anything that we listen to intently, like a like a meditation, like on the Calm app, is kind of forcing us not to continue thinking about whatever we are thinking about that keeps us awake. Okay. Oh, I'm going to have to look into that. That's really interesting. I'm going to give you one more that uh, because it's so simple and it is a good one to use with your kids. They, this is something when they are in that fight, flight, or freeze. They are freaking out. They are saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you can tell they're spiraling. Um, remember, and I would talk to this, talk to them about it when they aren't panicked so that when they are panicked, they can just do it without having you having to explain. But when they aren't panicked, explain to them that anything that they have several gateways to their calm brain. The, and the best gateways that they have with them all the time are their breath, obviously, and any of their senses, their, their five senses. So anytime that we focus intently on our breath or focus intently on one of our senses, the sense of smell, sense of hearing, sense of vision, sense of touch, those all can um, kind of sidetrack that uh, response that is going on. And there's neurological reasons why it happens, but they don't even have to know that. They don't have to understand the science behind it. Just explain that like long, slow, deep breaths. If you can do the, it has to be long, slow, and deep. When you say breathe and they say, I am breathing, <laughs> which I've done. I've had that happen with my own child. Um, that's not what we're talking about. 
It's not the, the shallow, quick breaths that they are doing when they're panicking. It, it has to be long, slow, deep breaths. And like I said, so you've got it. Maybe you're driving in carpool line and your child starts freaking out. I can't right. go. I'm not going to go. You can say, I, this, this is stressing me out. This is making me feel anxious. I am going to do some long, slow, deep breaths. Try and do this with me. I'm going to do this and do it yourself because you need it. You really do need it in that moment and do it on count. So I'm going to inhale two, three, four, exhale two, three, four, inhale two, count and do it like that and try and get your child to come along with you as opposed to saying, just breathe, just breathe. Cause that's a, a panicked person talking to a panicked person and neither one of you are going to, uh, you know, the, the, we entrain to the energy that is around us. So panic creates more panic. Calm can create more calm if you really can get into your calm. Yeah. I can imagine what that would be like when I'm in the middle of it and I'm trying to calm them down and I've been there. I've been there. So yeah. So wait, I, yeah, <laughs> I could have used this advice a long time ago, but this is good. I can still use it. Um, so I, you, you wrote an article that I really, that really resonated with me. And you said, we need to befriend our anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I don't consider anxiety my friend, but what did you mean by that? Well, one, as I said, it is part of life. It is a part of the just being human. And when we panic about panicking, mm-hmm. it is sort of a vicious, vicious circle, as opposed to just like every negative feeling is a part of being life. So it's true about anxiety. It's true about fear. It's true about anger. It's true about sadness. Um, when they show up as they do for all of us, the first, the first step in everything is just noticing, huh, I'm feeling anxious right now, which sounds so obvious, but it is something that we don't always do. We just kind of keep operating along and talking and trying to do whatever we're doing without really noticing, oh my gosh, I'm starting to feel anxious. Um, and once we noticed it, reminding ourselves, this is normal. People, this happens. This is part of the way my brain is designed to work. And it is designed to work this way because in certain situations, that thing, that anxiety that feels so terrible would save your life. Mm. So it is your friend. It is a. It can be a lifesaver. Uh, if right now, while we are having this conversation, my house catches on fire, if I only used my prefrontal cortex, where I do thinking and strategizing and planning, I might sit here and think, wow, the house is on fire. I wonder if I should go get my photo albums. Which doorway should I leave? Where are the animals? Where should I grab my favorite blanket? What, you know, and all of that thinking is preventing me from doing what my anxiety, my limbic system that's designed to keep me alive would say, Tanya, you got three options. You better 
fight this fire. You better flee. You better run away or you can hide. But hiding's probably not the best of those options when it's a fire. So really fight the fire or run away. That's it. None of that planning stuff matters right this moment, right this moment, run away or, or fight the fire. And so it's a lifesaver. But because we aren't always being faced with a fire or a hungry tiger or whatever, sometimes our body reacts like the house is on fire, even though it isn't. Mm. And we just have to say, oh, you know, my body is acting as if this thing, uh, it's usually that thing we're thinking about going to school. I'm not at school right this moment, but I'm thinking about something that might happen in the future and my body is reacting to it as if it's happening right now. And so acknowledging it's normal and then reminding myself, this is a, this is a mantra. I'm a big mantra girl. And one of my mantras that I use all the time is right here, right now, I'm okay. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm going to put that on my whiteboard in the kitchen. Yeah. And just say it. And we say it, I say it to my own children when like, okay, but right here, right now, everything's okay. Cause they, you know, what if I don't get into that college? What if I can't, don't get the score I want on the ACT? What if I fail the test? But right here, right now, we're okay. Right here. And let's step back into the right here and right now. That's what, you know, all of the breathing and feeling the ridges of our fingertips or wiggling our toes or listening to the sound of my dog barking in the background. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but doing reminds me that right here, right now, that's what's happening. I'm not failing the test. I'm not having a panic attack in chemistry class. I'm just sitting in the car with my mom driving to school and it's okay. And we'll be right back after a short break. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Green. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. So let's talk about your books because I want people to know about them and be able to find them. Yeah. So the one that is out that you can get anywhere is Stop Worrying About Your Anxious Child. I'm holding it up even though your viewers won't be able to see it. it. Um, So Stop Worrying About Your Anxious Child is on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and anywhere you can get books, um, you can find it. And it is filled with really the things that when 
I would say when I was struggling the most with my child's anxiety, when my child's anxiety was at its worst, I walked through, here's, here's how we got through it. Here are the things that I did specifically. And there were some specific things that I did that made a miraculous difference in how everyone was, you know, everyone was feeling, not just my child, but everyone in the house. Um, Because if you struggle with anxiety, or if you have a child that struggles with anxiety, uh, you know that anxiety affects everyone in the house. It's not just, you know, the person who's struggling. Uh, And then um, one of my very dear friends pointed out to me that the, that book, the stop worrying about your anxious child. I love it. It's got some great tips, but you know, when your child is a teenager, the level, the things we're worried about and the things that we have to face and the things that we're looking into the future. We're trying to think about, well, what what are they going to do after high school? And are they going to be ready to move out of the house and do that thing, whatever it is? And um, I realized she was right, that there's a whole different level of tools and practices and things that we need to talk about with our teenagers, especially teenagers who are getting ready to finish high school and look at what's after high school and are they going to be ready for what's after high school and what we as parents can do to get them ready. So that's the second book. Great. I'm I'm ready for that one because somebody said to me once, bigger kids, bigger problems. I think that's so true. You just have <laughs> so much less control, I'm going to use the word, over their lives and where they go and what they do and who they're with. And that just stirs up a whole pot of anxiety. So I'm looking forward to it. That's it. And I write about it in the teenage book that basically our job as parents is to relinquish control over time. That's all it Mm -hmm. is. We've got handed this bundle of little preciousness that we controlled everything for. When they ate everything, when they slept, and then over, you know, the next 18 years, it was just little by little, we were letting go of control. And by the time, you know, they hit their late teens, early 20s, we really, really have to figure out how to fully let go. And we can't do it overnight, though. We can't. It's not like you flip a switch when they turn 18 and say, okay, now you're in control of everything because they're not ready. <laughs> yeah. Mentally, they aren't quite ready. Yeah, it's definitely gradual and transitional. It's probably yeah. the biggest transition I've faced as a parent. I mean, newborn, that's a whole transition of its own, but this feels longer mm-hmm. and harder. And yeah, there's more anxiety around it. So, yeah, where else can people find and follow you? Well, um, my website is guidanceforthefuture.com. So you can find me. I am at Tanya at guidanceforthefuture.com and you can reach out to me there. And I have a guidance for the future. I'm on um, Facebook. You can find me there. So yeah, you can find me all over. (laughs) Okay. I will include all those links in the show notes. This has been personally super helpful to me. And I know it's going to be very valuable to my listeners because we're all in this together. I say that all the time. And if people weren't struggling with worry and anxiety before, I think this year has really brought it 
to the forefront for a lot of people. And I'm really grateful for your time and for all your wisdom and experience. So thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I loved having the conversation, Betsy. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot during my conversation with Tanya. And as someone who struggles personally with anxiety, I'm looking forward to trying some of the strategies that she suggested. It's been a long and very difficult year and a half, and our teens are struggling. It's hard enough to be a teenager, and now there's an extra layer of complexity on top. Anxiety, depression, and mental health challenges are skyrocketing in teens. The more we can get them to open up and talk about it, and the more tools we can give them to help them through the tough times, the better they'll be able to cope both now and in the future. Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, I'm grateful that you're listening, and I'd really appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback and would love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash nine five, where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. And if you know of a teenager who is unsure of their next step after high school, or a college student rethinking their future career path, or a young person who just needs some guidance while evaluating their career choices, I can help. You can learn more about me and the services I offer at BetsyJewelCoaching.com. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.